Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Well, it's good to be in Sedalia. Drove up this morning from Springfield and uh, my mom lives with us. She'll turn 89 tomorrow. And she was born in Sedalia 89 years ago. So she wanted to say hello to y'all. So my grandparents pastored uh, an Assembly of God church here in town 89 years ago. And uh, it's not here anymore, but we're here and that's what counts. So it's great to be at Bethel. Thanks, Pastor, for having me back. Uh, It's always nice when people invite you to come back. You know, it's one thing to get in the door once. It's when you get invited back that, that makes you feel good. Acts chapter 4, if you brought your Bible or your device with you today. Acts chapter 4, and uh, Pastor, I'm grateful for your friendship, and I've really wanted to come today more than anything to say thank you. Uh, You guys have stood with us and been incredible partners in missions for, wow, seven or eight years now, and uh, we're just grateful. I, I, I just want you to know on behalf of all the women and the children that have received the gospel because of your investment, because of all the women that have been delivered and set free, uh, the kids that have been rescued from a life of hell. Uh, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've invested in our family. My, my assignment has changed, and so uh, in about a week, I will become the chief operations officer for Assemblies of God World Missions. And so a uh, little different role. Matter of fact, a really different role. But uh, we're, just, uh, we're just very grateful for everything you've, you've invested in our lives and ministry over these years, and I'm grateful. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the name of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word stands forever. We don't have to ask you to anoint the word. It's already anointed. It is the eternal, living, breathing word of God. But Lord, what I ask in these moments this morning is that you would anoint me 
to proclaim your word, to preach your word, to speak. God, anoint me by your power to deliver your word in your heart to your people today. God, let your word come alive in our hearts. I pray that you turn over, over the soil of our hearts so that the seed of your word can go deep and produce a harvest. And I'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I grew up in St. Louis County, and uh, I remember mid, uh, back then we didn't even go to middle school. We went to junior high school. Anybody old enough remember junior high school? All right. I went to Hate Junior High School in St. Anne, Missouri. And uh, I remember in the eighth grade, they began to try to uh, introduce us to the great canon of English literature. And the first guy we studied in eighth grade English was William Shakespeare. Remember him? William Shakespeare. And uh, we studied some of his major works. And one of the first works we studied was Romeo and Juliet. Now, you remember Romeo and Juliet. Uh, you know, it's this story of, of these two teenagers who fall in love in medieval Verona, Italy. And they are from rival families, the Capulets and the Montagues, kind of the Hatfields and the McCoys of Verona. And so the whole play is about these two kids trying to find a way to get married and, and have a life together, uh, but the families will have no part of it because they are mortal enemies. And if, you don't, if you've never read the play, it doesn't end very well. But I remember at one time, they, I was reading and, and studying this play, and at one point, about halfway through the play, uh, Juliet, in her naivete, says, What's in a name? A rose would still be a rose by any other name. So what she's saying is, names don't matter. You can call a rose a carnation, but it's still a rose. It looks like a rose, smells like a rose, so it's a rose. So the label doesn't matter. It's what's there. And that makes sense on one level. But as somebody who has spent their entire life working with people, somebody who spent their entire life in ministry, I can tell you I have seen firsthand the power of words. I have seen the power of a label to alter a person's destiny. I've seen the power of a name attached to someone that changes their whole trajectory of their life. I've spent, uh, just to give you a little bit of context for the message today, Lucy and I have been back in the States a few years in our missionary assignment and, and working with the Eurasia region and and just trying to serve about 44 countries in the work that we do. But before that, we spent many years, most of the time that you've supported us as missionaries, was spent in the red light district of New Delhi, India, pastoring prostituted women and their children. So that's kind of my, that's been our world, that's been our life. That colors everything about me. It colors everything about everything I am, about the way I communicate God's word, the way I communicate the scriptures, those years pastoring those women and children and continuing to be an advocate and a voice for them in my role today. So when I talk about these kinds of things, uh, I go back, things happen in my mind and I go back to stories and faces and people. I remember that uh, Cushy came to us. Cushy and Gopal, they're, they're brother and sister and they're, they're in our homes. So... Just to give you context, we went into Delhi several years ago and uh, a, a, an Indian woman had begun 
to, to reach out to the red light district in New Delhi. And uh, she had taken in a little girl out of the brothels and was raising her in her home. She was sleeping in the living room there. Uh, and uh, we came in, and they had been old friends of ours from previous years in India. And so we came in and began to work with Vinita and, uh, and, and began to reach, uh, reach out to the red light district. Uh, the, the red light district in New Delhi is called GB Road. It's about a half mile long. There are thousands of women enslaved in the brothels on that street. Um, we came in and began to just initially uh, reach out to ladies there on the street. Lucy began to do prayer walks up and down the street, which in hindsight probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. It's kind of a dangerous neighborhood. And, uh, and so then she began to go up into the brothels and sit with these ladies in the brothels and, uh, and try to minister to them. And as you can imagine, that's not a real conducive environment for ministry. And so we were praying, God, you've got to give us an opening. We need a place. We need a place here where women can come. And, and, and Because, you know, I mean, you're sitting there and everybody's listening. Customers are coming and going. It's just chaos. It's, it's just chaos. And uh, so we're praying. And so one day uh, uh, it, it opened up for us to get a couple of rooms and a little bathroom and a kitchenette in this building. And so we rented these couple of rooms and that became our outreach center. Uh, and we just, God began to open doors. And now the... The, the quality of the ministry went to a whole new level because now women can speak to us openly. They, they, can, they can share their heart. They would come. We'd get them out of the... We were right there on the lane in the, in the heart of the district. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to get real estate because it, the red light district in Delhi has been a red light district for six centuries, 600 years. Women have been bought and sold on that street. And so real estate is out of the question. Uh, that every square foot is of value to somebody because they're going to use that to make money. So we're praying this door opens up. Well, fast forward. Today, we own the building that those rooms that we rented in sit in. And that outreach center right, is right in the heart of all the brothels. Uh, it, we are, we are, we have, we're planting a church there. We have... Uh, regular Bible study and prayer meeting, and the women come in from the brothels, and we minister to them. Uh, we have medical clinic that functions a couple days a week so that the ladies can get medical care. We're teaching them a trade and skills so that they have an option to get out of the lifestyle they're in. And God is just, it's like the kingdom of God just came down in the middle of all that darkness. And women are being transformed, and God is moving by His Spirit as I told you early on, the first thing the ladies would say to us is, it's too late for me, but can you do something for my child? And so we took in the first little girl. Well, today we've got a girl's home and a boy's home where we are raising the children of prostituted women. And we partner with them to raise their kids. And uh, God's just taken all this, and it's just been an amazing thing to watch. So that's kind of the background of the message today. But one of the first girls that came into our home was a girl named Cushy. Uh, Cushy uh, was, a, was destined to be a third-generation prostitute woman. Her grandmother was a madam and ran a brothel. Her mother was a prostitute, and now Cushy. And so Cushy was given to us. She was about eight or nine years old when we got her. That's Cushy. And uh, I'll never forget, we got her, we, we had her in our girls' home, and one day the grandmother wants her back because you have to understand every child we rescue out of the brothel is a loss of revenue to the owners. So 
grandma wants her back because she's going to put her in the business. Well, you know, here's the thing. We don't have any legal recourse to keep these kids. The mom gave them to us to raise. If the mom wants them back, we don't have any recourse, okay? So we don't have any legal authority, but we can bluff and we can pray. So that's, that's, that's our only tools. So we're sitting there negotiating with Grandma, and she says, I want Cushy back. And we're like, nope, not going to happen. And so we're going back and forth week after week, day after day, and we're fighting over this girl, and we're fighting for this child's destiny and her, her protection. And one day the grandma just got so exasperated, she says to us, you don't understand. I am a prostitute, my daughter is a prostitute, and my granddaughter will be a prostitute. It is who we are, and it is what we do. That woman had taken a label. She had taken a name, and that name had altered her destiny, her daughter's destiny, and would have altered her granddaughter's destiny. Words have power. Words have impact. The Scriptures say in in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So names matter. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. Sometimes in the Bible, when God changed somebody's life he changed their name right Right. remember abram back in the back in genesis right back in the beginning of the bible it tells us about this this guy named abram and god comes to him and makes a promise to him and when he makes that promise to abram he says i'm going to change your name and abram became abraham there's this guy named saul in the book of acts saul is this zealous Jewish scholar who's trying to defend the orthodoxy of the Jewish faith against this new sect called Christians. He's trying to shut that thing down. He has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus changed his life and he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Because sometimes when God changes your destiny, your name doesn't fit you anymore. And some of you are here today, and you've had labels attached to you, you've had names placed on you, you've had titles placed on you, but Jesus changed you, and they don't fit anymore, and you need to let them go. See, I've seen the ability of a label or a mentality to completely destroy or alter somebody's destiny. And here's what you need to know, friends, names matter. Names matter. But when I receive his name, my name changes. So I want to just leave with you two big ideas today. The first is this. We received a name. We are receivers of a name. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, those are a lot of big words, and you say, well, what's all that mean? Here's the simple, here's, here's kind of trying to boil it down. Justification is when God's, is God's response to genuine faith. So when I reach out to him and my faith is genuine, he justifies me. And what that means is he simultaneously does two things. He forgives my sin, all right? So he forgives me of my sin, and... He gives me legal standing as being perfectly sinless. So it's an old legal term. 
is what justification is. It means I am declared sinless before God. And it gives me the credit for the life that Jesus lived. It gives me credit for Jesus' righteousness. That's what it means to be justified. When I receive His name, everything changes. My sin is forgiven, and I am declared to be righteous before God. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I mean, it's amazing to me. John Richards, this is why this is so important. Um, We live in a culture today that values pluralism. Pluralism essentially says there is no absolute truth. So whatever works for you is good, but you don't have any right to impose anything on me. Your belief system is no better than my belief system. Your cosmology is no more important than my cosmology. And so this is kind of the the world we live in today, where pluralism is valued. Today's culture values uncertainty. So uncertainty, in fact, is the only certainty. Pluralism rules the day, and so no one religion has a monopoly on truth, according to the people that propagate this. And they say, it's like the Hindus in India. Hindus are pluralists. Hindus say, all roads lead to God. So when I go preach the gospel in India, they'll say to me, oh, that sounds great. Jesus sounds wonderful. We'll just add him to our gods. I say, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the only way to God. Oh, no, 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 no. That works for you. They'll say, but I'm a Hindu, or I'm a Muslim, or whatever. They say, you know, all the rivers flow to the ocean eventually, and all truth is truth, and so it works for you, good for you, my thing works for for me. You ever heard anything like that? It's kind of like the Hindu fable of the elephant and the blind men. The the fable goes that these blind men are are out trying to find out what an elephant looks like. So they surround this elephant, and uh, one gets a hold of the trunk, and he says, well, an elephant's like a snake. One gets a hold of its leg, and he says, no, no, an elephant's like a tree. Another one comes up on the side of it. He goes, no, an elephant kind of feels like a wall. One grabs him by the tail, which I don't recommend, but he grabs it by the tail, and he says, no, it's like a rope. And so what the Hindus say is, it's all about your perspective. So we all, nobody knows what God looks like. Nobody knows what is truth. It's all about your perspective when you approach the elephant. What they never address is, somebody knows what the elephant looks like, or this wouldn't apply. But what we're told today is, there's no absolute truth. All roads lead to God, and so you need to be tolerant. What's amazing to me today in American culture is tolerance is a one-way street. Tolerance applies as long as I agree with you. So if I have to be tolerant of your position, but I can't propose my position or I'm being intolerant, and you don't have to tolerate my position. That's the world we live in today. And all this confusion... John tells us that Jesus said, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the one verse that more Hindus and Muslims get mad at me about than any other verse in the Bible. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In a world of options, in a world of, of relativism, in a world where everybody's idea is of equal value, which is nonsense, Jesus is the only shot we've got. We like choices as Americans. You been to the grocery store lately? I'll never forget, I came home from India on a trip several years back, and I got sent down to the grocery store. I walk into Schnucks in St. Louis, and I went down the ketchup aisle, and I froze. I was paralyzed. I live on the other side of the world. I ran a business over there. I got a church over there. I, I, went, I can't make a decision. There are 37 varieties of ketchup. How many choices do you need? But we Americans love our, our choices. We want choices. We want options. But when it comes to our redemption, Jesus doesn't give us any. We got one. He's the way. The gospel is an exclusive message in an inclusive world, and they hate us for it. But our hope is in a name. Verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, unless you think this isn't such a big deal, do you understand the early Christians... They couldn't, they couldn't pass on this. Understand, when you read the early, the early uh, descriptions of the church in the Bible, the book of Acts and the epistles in the New Testament, you understand there was a context that all that was going on in, and that context was the Roman Empire. So the church, the early church, came up in the midst of the rule of the Roman Empire, which was the superpower of the day. And the Roman Empire was ruled by a king called a Caesar, and the Caesar was deified as a god. So to be a good Roman citizen, you had to recognize the deity of the Caesar. And the way that Roman citizens would greet each other is that they, if you met another Roman citizen on the street or hanging out somewhere, the way you would greet them is you would say, Good morning, Caesar is Lord. Or you go to somebody in the market and you say, hello, Caesar is Lord. That's how you greeted people. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. But all of a sudden, there's this upstart group. There's this sect of Judaism that rises up. And they're saying, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. People were flayed alive. They were burned at the stake. They were crucified. They were murdered. They were martyred over the name. Why couldn't they just say, well, we'll let Jesus be added to the Roman pantheon and we can just go on, we can just get along. I've been to Rome, I've sat in the Parthenon where that temple where they used to have all the statues and the idols of their gods, it's a big round building. Today there's no, there are no more idols, there are no more statues. But the church could have gone along, but they couldn't go along, why? Because they, they died for the name. They understood. Today, 
we face intellectual, social persecution. But I'm reminded of the scriptures that say they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, that the Christ is Jesus. I've seen the power of his name. Lest you think this is not, this is not about ideology, theology. It's about practicality. I've seen the power of his name. I've seen the power of Jesus, the power of his name transform lives. I've seen the power of his name make people completely new. Give complete people a complete reset in their lives. Unless you think, maybe you're here today, you say, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what, you can't believe, I, trust me, there's a really good chance I've heard worse. I have seen women with some of the most horrific, horrible stories that you can ever imagine. I have seen the depths of the depravity of humanity and what men and women will do to each other without Jesus. I've seen it firsthand. I have pastored a group of people that are possibly the most victimized, low-trust people in the entire world. I've seen it all. You would be amazed the prayer requests you get when you pastor prostituted women. <laughs> it's amazing. I've seen it all. Usha came to us. Uh, she's, one of, she's one of the ladies in one of the brothels on GB Road. Very early on, we began to engage with Usha, and uh, Lucy, my wife, built a, a friendship with her. That's Usha in the red up there on the left. And uh, Lucy kind of became friends with her. And very early on, Usha would come to our Bible studies down the red light district, and she would come, and we have them every Thursday morning, and she would come, and, and she'd sit there with the ladies, and we'd study the Bible and talk and have snacks, and she was there every week. And so, uh, early on, Lucy was sitting next to her at the meeting where everybody's sitting on the floor, and they're sitting there, and Usha looks over at Lucy, and she said to her, are you going to say something, or are you just going to sit there? And Lucy goes, well, Hindi I speak a little bit of Hindi, and Usha rolls her eyes, says, <laughs> and she physically turned her back to Lucy and sat there the rest of the morning with her back to Lucy. And every week, Usha would come to the meeting, and every week, she would turn her back on Lucy and ignore her for the whole morning. And Lucy would come home in the afternoon, she's like, Usha was mean to me again today. But I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up on her. God loves her. I'm not going to quit. I mean, week after week after month. And so one Thursday, Lucy was sick and didn't make it to Bible study. And so the next week, she's coming up the, the, the stairs into the outreach center on Thursday morning, about an hour before the meeting. And as she comes up on the top of the stairs, there stands Usha with her arms crossed. And Usha says, where were you last week? I waited three hours for you and you didn't show up. Lucy threw her arms around her and said, I'm so sorry. And that day, something happened. And they clicked. And... Lucy and Usha became friends. And Usha would, would come over to the outreach center and sit with her for hours at a time and just pour out her life and all of her heartbreak and all of her agony. And she'd tell her story. 
Gopal is her husband. He's the guy up there in the back right in the red stripes. Gopal married her when she was 14 years old and sold her into the brothel at age 14. Gopal is a trafficker. He buys and sells women for a living. He's quite the guy. She just poured all this out. She would say to us, early on, we took Prerna, the little girl there on the right, and Prerna came into our girl's home, and we were raising her because Usha said, please get her out of here before it's too late. Don't let. And she would say to Lucy, if anything happens to me, don't let her come back here. If something happens to me, don't let Gopal have Prerna. Don't let him bring her back here. Give her a chance. Give her a life. Lucy would say, we will. One day we, uh, we were having lunch with some of our staff and the phone rang and I could tell by one side of the call that it wasn't a good call. She hung up the phone and she looked at me and she said, Usha died. She had respiratory issues and uh, they took her to the hospital. She needed a ventilator, they didn't have one. And so she died, age 37. I'll never forget Lucy looked at me with tears streaming down her face and she said, uh, she was my friend. I said, well, there you go. Pretty well sums up my life. My wife's friends are prostituted women. I'm a rather unique pastor. (laughs) And I remembered the religious people had trouble with Jesus because he had the wrong friends. You know what the problem some of us have in here today? You don't have any interesting friends. Church people tend to cluster together. So we get saved, and all our friends are saved. We become believers, and our whole world is the church. Some of you need some interesting friends. Some of you need some people that are messed up in your life. It would do you some good and do them some good. She said, she was my friend. Well, we kept raising Prerna, and here comes Gopal. Gopal wants her back. I said, Gopal, you're going to get her back over my dead body. Lucy said, that's not a good idea. That's not a good thing to say because that's not out of the realm of possibility here. This is organized crime. I mean, these are rough people. They're kind of scrawny, but they're rough people. I mean, when I'm the biggest guy in the room, that tells you something, okay? And so... Uh, He and I went back and forth for months. We were locked in a battle for the destiny of that little girl. I said, go, Paul, we're not going to let you have her. He said, you will. I said, we won't. And again, it's all bluff and posturing, praying. (laughs) Just before we left a few years ago, go, Paul came to see us, and he said, I want you to know I'm not going to fight you anymore. I want you to give her a chance. And... uh, She's becoming a beautiful young lady, and God's hand is on her life. I was back in India last year at Easter, Easter week, and uh, I was up in the outreach center, and it was clinic day, and so it's kind of crazy, all the women coming and going, and doctor sees a lot of people. And uh, in the door walks Gopal, and he sits down next to me, and we kind of start to chat a little bit. And I said, well, what's going on? He goes, man, I'm a grandfather. I said, what? He goes, yeah. 
my son's daughter or my son's wife had a had a baby and and so I'm a grandfather now I said well he goes I'm getting old I said how old are you he said 50 I said I don't want to hear it <laughs> and so we're just kind of talking back and forth like you would just and and you know in India we drink tea and and in a lot of parts of the world you don't have to be saying something all the time it's enough just to be present with each other and so we'd talk a little bit, drink a little tea, and sit there quietly, and he just hung out with me for about 20 minutes. And after about 20 minutes, he said, okay, I'll see you later. I said, all right, see you. And he walks out the door, and I look over at Evelyn, our director, and I said, Evelyn, Gopal didn't see the doctor. She goes, he didn't come to see the doctor. He came to see you. That man who I was locked in a mortal battle for the destiny of his daughter just a few years ago, now considers me his friend because of the power of the name. The name changes everything. Everything. His name changes it all. That morning while I was sitting there in the outreach center, uh, one of our ladies came in the door named Kavita. Kavita was a lady in one of the brothels that we ministered to for years, and we, uh, we had her daughter in our home for a long time. Kavita's there in the yellow. She walked in, and I love Kavita because she's got a lot of moxie and sass. She's kind of out there. And so she walked in the door that morning, and she says, Namaste! She didn't see me. I was over in the corner. I said, Namaste, Kavita. She looked over at me, and she threw her head back, and she said, Ha! He remembers my name! Because when you're invisible, when you're nothing but a piece of meat, there's nothing more beautiful than to hear your name. And that somebody you value Values your name. The next day I went over to our boys' home. They didn't tell them I was coming and I hadn't been there in a while. When I walked in the door, I get bum-rushed by a bunch of little elementary school boys and they come flying toward me and they launch themselves through the air and tackle me and we're on the ground and we're going wild and all of a sudden one of my little guys off top, he grabs my face in his hands and he says, Uncle, Uncle, do you remember my name? Yeah. I remember your name, Uncle. He said, what's his name? He said, it's Metab. Who's he? That's Gopal. I'm glad I knew everybody's name. <laughs> because when I, when I say his name, I tell him he matters. He might be the son of a prostitute, but he's got value. God loves him. God knows his name. And our job in Sedalia, in Delhi, and everywhere in between is to take his name to people with no name. That's our task. We carry the name of Jesus to the voiceless, faceless, nameless billions 
who still wait to hear his name for the first time. His name changes everything. And I'm just curious about you today. I'm curious to know, have you trusted in his name? I want you to know today, truth is a reality. There is a way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God but through me. The simple truth is there are not many paths to God. The simple truth is that all the rivers do not dump into the ocean. The simple truth is there is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. And I'm just curious if there's anybody in this room today that would say, you know what, for the first time in my life, this is clicking. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times. But for some reason, today, this is clicking. And you know you need Jesus. I've seen his name transform the most impossible situations. And he can transform yours. And he can transform your life today. Is there anybody here today, as we bow our heads, prepare to pray, is there anybody here, I'd like to pray for you if you would like to start a relationship with Jesus Christ and have him change your life with the power of his name. Is there anybody here that I could pray for today as I lead us in prayer and turn it back to pastor? Anybody here? As I look out on the crowd? All right. So, Lord Jesus, 